0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at org. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. We start a new worship series today called Tattoos on the Heart, based on Father Greg Boyle's uh, first book and also based on his work at Homeboy Industries uh, in Los Angeles. An additional prayer request before I forget, um, during our prayer this morning I I got a text that a snake came through my sister's shower head this morning. So pray that she doesn't just burn the house down (laughs) to be done away with the snake. May we, what what is the verse? Uh, The snake will snip at our heel and we will crush the adder under ours. Something like that. Uh, I pray that the I know the snake's not going to make it through this, but uh, pray for her. Our scripture lesson today, as we be- begin this new series, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 13 and 14. It'll be on the screens, it'll be uh, online, and it'll also be in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father Greg Boyle, uh, founder and CEO of Homeboy Industries, begins his first book, Tattoos on the heart with this story. Our foreman at the bakery was a man named Luis, in his mid 20s, who arguably had become the biggest, savviest drug dealer in our community. We knew each other for more than a decade, and any offer of a job was always graciously but surely declined. Luis was as smart as they come and quick-witted. He used to say, "When we were kids, we would play kick the can, but so did the cops. You know, they would play kick the Mexican and kick the Puerto Rican." He never got he never got caught. He was too smart for that. But one day he decided to work at our bakery, and his natural leadership ability soon moved him up to foreman. Not only did he work with former rival gang members, but he also supervised them which is a great deal more difficult later in the day the bakery uh, several blocks from my office I went to visit Luis one of his responsibilities was to be a tour guide for groups that would come in to see what we were all about so when I saw him in the afternoon I asked him how'd the tour go well damn gee he said shaking his head what's up with white people I was actually curious as, what was up with us? I mean, they always be using the word great. We do? These bunch of gabachos stroll in here and see the place, and it's all ferme and clean and machines working proper, and they say, this place is great. They see us all working together, former gang members and enemies, and they say, you fellows are great. They taste our bread and they go, this bread is great. I mean, why do white people be using the word great all the time? I don't know. But trust me, every opportunity I could find after that, I would tell him just how great he was, just to mess with him a little. Four months later, it was nearly closing time and I arrived at the bakery that evening. Luis sees me in the parking lot from inside the building and rushes out to me. He's excited and yet enthusiasm is never a card that Luis plays, he's too cool for that. He barely lets me get out of my car. Hey, gee, he says, thrilled to see me, you're not gonna believe what happened to me yesterday after my shift. He proceeds to tell me that after work, he goes and picks up his four-year-old daughter, Tiffany, at the babysitter's, he puts her in the car and they drive to their tiny apartment where for the first time Luis is paying rent with honestly earned clean money. He unlocks the front door and Tiffany scurries in down the hallway and lands in their modest home. She plants her feet in the living room and extends her arms and takes in the whole room with her eyes. She then declares with an untethered smile, this is great. He turns to me and says, I thought she was turning white on me. He tells me that he lowers himself to her eye level, placing his knees, placing his hands on his knees for support. And he said, what's great, Miha? Tiffany clutches her heart and gushes, my home, my home is great. Luis seems to be unable to speak at that moment. Our eyes find each other and our souls well up along with our eyes. We can't stop staring at each other and tears, make their way south on our faces. After what seems longer than I'm sure it was, I break the silence and I point at him and say, you did this. You never had a home in your life and now you have one. You did this, you were the biggest drug dealer in town and you stopped and you started breaking bread. You did this, you never had a father in your life and now you are one, I have to tell you and you're not gonna like it, but you are great. And I hate to have to tell you this but the first time I retrieved this story from my memory bank was to tell it at Louisa's funeral. He wasn't doing anything wrong on that Wednesday afternoon. He was killed. He was loading the trunk of his car in the projects, readying himself for a camping trip with friends. Two gang members with their faces covered enter into, entered into enemy territory looking for some fools slipping. They saw Louise and must have thought to themselves, he'll do. They walked up to him and executed him. At his funeral, his homies asked me, what's the point of doing good if something like this can happen? It was a good question, worthy of a response. I told that packed church that Louise was a human being who came to know the truth about himself and he liked what he found there. Julian of Norwich, a 14th century female English mystic saw that the life struggle was coming to to discover that we are clothed in God's goodness. This became Luis's life work. He embraced this goodness, this greatness, and nothing was ever the same again. And really, what is death compared to knowing that? No bullet can pierce it. This story is found in just the introduction of Tattoo's on the heart. It's a memoir of sorts by Father Greg Boyle, Jesuit priest who has invested his life to teaching and preaching and living God's radical reality of belonging to those who desperately need to know their own value and their own greatness. When I was in Los Angeles earlier this year, I had the good fortune to be at Homeboy Industries And Father G. details in his book how homeboy industries began simply as a neutral ground at the church where homies could hang in peace and it grew into a bakery and then it grew into a tattoo removal clinic and then it grew into a job placement center, an education hub and much more. His ministry absolutely captured me. His stories are powerful, but it is something that you just have to see with your own eyes. Walking into the main lobby that day was awkward for me. Seeing Latino and Latina gang members milling about all in one room is not my normal context. So I stood relatively still and absolutely quiet. Father G then came and stood in the middle of the room to start a staff meeting. (laughs) And the room lit up with a kind of joy that words just cannot touch. As people spoke about their day, they spoke about their work, they spoke about their life. There is no story, there is no written word, there is no documentary or sermon that will do that justice. The work at Homeboy Industries is truly something that becomes tattooed on your heart. It is an experience that will never leave you. In a word, it's great. Sometimes God can be tattooed right on our heart. As Jeremiah chapter 33 says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I I took them by the hand to bring them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. It was a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the heartbeat of Homeboy Industries. I can't imagine what kind of calling God places upon you to do the kind of work that Father G does. But I'm assuming that uh, he would say that he's not doing any work at all. (laughs) God is doing the work. And the homeboys and homegirls are simply discovering it. The work is the realization of God's radical reality of belonging, that you are indeed loved and valued and accepted and counted as God's own child. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their heart's I will be their God and they shall be my people, not might be my people, not if they work hard, I will accept them, or if they are worthy, I will accept them, they shall be my people. Do we love because we obey or do we obey because we love? Think of a meaningful relationship that you have. It could be a spouse, it could be a great friend, it could be parent, child. Do you love this person because you are obligated to? Or do you maintain the relationship because you love them? Now, this love may begin with obligation if we remember Jesus from the Gospel of John saying, I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. I give you a command, I give you a mandate To love one another as I love you, but that is not the end game. If we understand love to only be an obligation, then our text from Matthew this morning means something quite different. If we believe that obligation comes first and obligation is the bedrock of the gospel, we read that the way of Christianity in general and the way to heaven, more specifically, is exclusive and only open to a select few. If we come to the realization of God's radical reality of belonging, if we understand that we love first, and that love is the foundation, and obedience follows that great desire, then suddenly this text means something different. Father Greg Boyle interprets it differently. He writes, The way is narrow, But God wants us to see that narrowness is the way. Our choice is not to focus on the narrow, but to narrow our focus. The gate that leads to life is not about restriction at all. It is about an entry into the expansive. There is a vastness in knowing that you are a son or a daughter worth having. He tells a story About a man who called him at 3 a.m. Father G., are you up? Well, of course I was. I was just waiting for your call. And the young man said, You have been like a father to me, but I still have a question. Can I be considered your son? Father G said, Of course you are. He said, I'll. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. There is a vastness in knowing that you are a son or daughter worth having. We see our plenitude in God's own expansive view of us and we marinate in this. Over and over again, Father G writes about God's great vastness, God's great desire to love you and for you to discover this love. It's not so much about pleasing God, but to be pleased in God. He talks a lot about our misconceptions of God, that some think that we're put on earth to pay God back for what God has done, and if we don't measure up, then we will receive God's vengeance. But Father G. tells a story about when he was in Bolivia, (laughs) and he was asked to officiate mass uh, with an Indian tribe there in Tirani. Quechua tribe. He didn't know Spanish, and he didn't have any transportation. After finding a ride to the remote village where the mass was going to take place, he, for, he realized that he forgot his missile back at his home. This missile had the mass written out in Spanish for him, and he was going to simply follow it. During the service, he was sweating, and he was nervous, and he said the mass couldn't have gone worse Then a group of Indians had not seen a priest in decades, and he felt humiliated, he felt worthless, as if he had squandered the very reason that God had called him into ministry in the first place. He stayed behind to hear confession, but the confession took so long that the group of healthcare workers that gave him a ride to the village had left. So he took his belongings and slowly made his way down the mountain on foot replaying the Mass over and over again in his head. Have you ever done that with a mistake that you've made? Replayed it over and over again? It's like the prodigal son coming home, replaying over and over his confession to the father. And What does the father do? The father runs out to greet him, and the father interrupts his confession and says, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, clothe him with a royal garb. My son who was lost is now home He's replaying this mass over and over again, and it causes shame to grow. And then there was a man who seemingly appeared out of nowhere, carrying roses that he was bringing to market. They stopped for a moment and they simply look at each other. The man softly said, Tatia, gracias por haber venido. Which means, thank you for coming. Father G thought of something to say, but there were no words, only tears that welled up in his eyes. And then the man reached into his basket, pulled out a fistful of rose petals, and simply dropped them on Father G's head. Then he reached down in the basket and pulled out another handful of petals and did the same. He did it again, over and over again, while Father G simply wept. Then the man walked away, leaving Father G standing alone, weeping, surrounded by the aroma of roses. For as many times as he revisited this village over the years, he never saw the man again. He writes, God, I guess, is more expansive than every image we think rhymes with God. How much greater is the God we have than the one we think we have? More than anything else, the truth of God seems to be about a joy that is a foreigner to disappointment and disapproval. This joy just doesn't know what we're talking about when we focus on restriction of not measuring up. The God who is greater than our image of God has only one thing on her mind, and that is to drop endless rose petals on our head. May we simply behold the one who just can't take his eyes off of us. Marinate in the vastness of that. We would do well to marinate in God's vastness, to see following Christ as a narrowing of our focus, not a narrowing of the crowd that is trying to follow. The path that leads to destruction is indeed wide. It is full of distractions. It is full of competing narratives. It is full of stories from the world that bargain for our gaze and our attention and our our energy and our time. In other words, if we follow the distracting wideness of the world, we will know very little. Conversely, if we seek to learn just one thing, the heart of God, it will lead to a vastness that only eternal life will have the time to comprehend. Have you ever wondered why Christ's promise is paradise, eternal life in the heart of God? It's because maybe it will take that long to fathom the gift that is your own soul and the soul of your neighbor. My prayer this day is for eternity to begin in the moment we call now. May we with our own eyes begin to see the fulfillment of our daily prayer that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When our eyes narrow to recognize God, to know the vastness of this joy, In the words of Father G. to Luis, you did this. You have recognized the deep love of God and the value of your own soul. And you are great. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, the way is indeed narrow and it has a singular focus. So turn our eyes to the divine heart. Help us to be counted as your child. And give us the courage and the strength to count others with the same Holy value, made in your image, worthy of having rose petals poured upon us, even when we are filled with shame and regret and our own sense of unworthiness. Father, we give you thanks for your life in Christ, who reveals to us this way through great love, through great em- obedience. With the foundation of your great love, help us simply to follow. Help us to recognize the greatness that is our own divine spark and help us to share it with the world well. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.